Amen. As we begin our time tonight, turn again to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. To begin our time here tonight, we're back with the Great Commission our Savior gave to His disciples that is passed down to us as well as followers of Christ. We are called to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we begin looking at this passage to see what the main function of what we're here to do, we're here to make disciples and to make disciples of Christ. And we finished up just beginning to touch on verse 20 where we are called on in this idea of making disciples, of teaching the disciples to observe all that Christ has commanded. And as we think about that tonight, just again, just to set the stage for this, just a reminder of that a Christian is a disciple. A Christian is a disciple, and a disciple is someone who is leaning on Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. The a disciple is someone who is living for Jesus under his Lordship. A disciple is someone who is learning from Jesus. Another way to say that is to look and understand that Christ is the prophet, the priest, and the king. That's why if someone says, I am a disciple of Jesus, but all they want is for Jesus to be the one that they're looking to as their Savior, they say, I just want to lean on Jesus and Jesus alone to be my Savior, to be the priest, the one who intervenes for me, not just through what he says, but obviously through his sacrifice on the cross. But yet, I don't want to learn from Jesus. That is, I don't want to look at Jesus as my prophet, and I don't want to look at Jesus as my king. I don't want to live for Jesus Beloved, that should bring great concern in our heart to whether or not that person is truly a disciple of Christ because a disciple of Christ is someone who has embraced Jesus for all of who he is. And he is the prophet. He is the promised priest. He is that promised king. And as we think about that, as someone becoming a disciple of Christ, that it's interesting to think in this regard, that entering into the spiritual kingdom of God, that is becoming a disciple of Jesus, is personal, it is individual. That is, you alone must put your faith in Christ. You alone ultimately are responsible for your turning from your sins and trusting Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. You alone are the one that is leaning on Jesus, living for Jesus, learning from Jesus. And yet, your coming to Christ was not because of you alone. And I'm not talking about God's role in your salvation. I'm talking about it wasn't just you alone in that there were other people that were involved in your becoming a disciple of Christ. At the very least, the very men that God used to write down the word of God were involved in your becoming a disciple of Christ. But not only that, 
No doubt, I would imagine there were people that were praying for your salvation. They were involved in your becoming a disciple of Christ. Those that either gave you a Bible or gave you the gospel or presented the gospel to you or you heard preaching the gospel. Whatever way it was that God shared the gospel with you through that person, that person was involved in your becoming a disciple of Christ. Thus, beloved, we don't... We individually and personally must come to Jesus, but there are others who are involved when we get saved. And what I want us to think about tonight is, is that it's not just that you are to live your life, you're just to come to Christ alone, but you also, when we think about your life as now a disciple, that the way God has designed it, other people are to be involved in that as well. It is something that is personal. It is something that is individual, that you live before the Lord. And yet, there are other people that are to be involved in it. And what I'm speaking about tonight is the subject of discipleship. The subject of discipleship. I mean, we talk a lot about discipleship. And just understand, when we think about this idea of teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, that this was the discipleship aspect, the discipling aspect of the ministry of Christ and a ministry of the apostles. Discipleship, beloved, is your personal walk with the Lord. Your following of Jesus. That is, as you live your life, As a believer, as a disciple, you're following the Lord, as I said, by leaning on Him alone as your Savior, by living for Him under His Lordship, and by learning from Him, learning from the Word of God. But that's discipleship. That's your walk with the Lord. But also, when you look at the context of what Jesus is saying here, he's telling those who are already his disciples, go out and make disciples, and a part of that is your responsibility to be involved in the life of other people, of their growing in Christ, their following Christ. You see, once this person gets saved and they thus become a disciple of Jesus, and once they are baptized identifying with Christ, the mission's not over. We're still to teach them. And to teach them, notice, all of God's word, all that was commanded, all that has been given. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus. If you really consider the ministry of Christ when he was here on this earth, He was making disciples. We've seen that in the Gospel of John in John chapter 4 where it says Jesus was going around making disciples. How was he making disciples? He was going out and proclaiming the Gospel. And as he was proclaiming the Gospel, people were getting saved. People were coming to believe upon Jesus and what it is he was teaching and the good news that he was sharing with them. And we see there in the Gospel of John in John chapter 4 there in verse 1 that we see that they were also being baptized, identified, with Christ. But it didn't stop there. They continued to follow Jesus around to learn from Christ, to learn the Word of God, to hear Him teach with authority and to teach the Word of God and what God was giving Him and even in divine revelation to speak to them at that time. He was teaching them and this was an aspect of discipling them. We see this in the ministry of Paul as well. Just to kind of 
walk through this very carefully and quickly together. Go over to the book of Acts for a moment. Go to Acts chapter 13. It is here in Acts chapter 13. Paul has been saved. And it is in Acts 13 that the church at Antioch, by the Holy Spirit, sets him apart and Barnabas apart for the work to which the Lord had called them. And that's in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. And the work that they had been called to do was the same mission that Jesus had, and that was to go and make disciples. And in this making disciples, they were going out, proclaiming the gospel, evangelizing the lost. As the lost came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, they were being baptized, and then they were teaching them, they were strengthening them in their faith. In fact, if you go over, go over to chapter 14, Acts chapter 14. There in Acts 13, we saw them being set apart. In the rest of chapter 13 and into chapter 14, they leave and they go out on their first disciple-making journey. And obviously, they're going out into areas that have never heard the gospel, have never had the gospel. And they're proclaiming the gospel and people were getting saved. And now they have come back. And we find there, uh, they, they make it back at the end of chapter 14, and it tells us in the last verse, in verse 28, that they spent a long time with the disciples, that is the disciples there at Antioch. Now what were they doing when they came back to Antioch? Well, they were still discipling. They were discipling the disciples. You say, how do you know that? Well, if you go over and look in Acts chapter 15 and verse 35, it says, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. This is what they were doing. They kept going out and evangelizing, but they also kept teaching and preaching the word of the Lord because they were discipling the disciples. Look over, look over in verse 36. It's where Paul and Barnabas, Paul tells them, let's, let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So look, notice, they're, they're deciding to go back now. They've taken their first disciple-making journey. And they travel to different areas, different cities, different communities. And they proclaimed the gospel. And people got saved in those different areas. They came back to the church at Antioch that sent them out in Acts chapter 13. They stayed there for a long time, continuing to preach and teach the word of the Lord there in the community of Antioch. They were discipling the disciples. They were evangelizing and seeing people coming to know Christ and becoming a disciple of Christ. Now Paul, after they had been there some time, Paul says, let's go back. Let's go back to the very places we've already visited. Let's go back to the brethren that are there in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord. Let's see how they're doing. Now it ended up, it wasn't Paul and Barnabas, it ended up being Paul and Silas. And in verse 40 it says, Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord and he was traveling through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The strengthening of the churches, beloved, is Paul coming back into those areas, back to those churches where they were founded through his ministry and Barnabas' ministry, and he's going back and he's strengthening them through the teaching of the Word of God by discipling them. 
In fact, you drop down to chapter 16, verse 5, it says, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith. And they were increasing in number daily. Paul was going back, evangelizing and discipling, strengthening their faith. Look, if you will, for a moment over in Acts chapter 18. Go to Acts chapter 18. When you come to verse 22 of Acts 18, we see now the completion of the second uh, disciple-making journey that Paul went on. He now has landed at Caesarea and he went up and greeted the church and then he went down to Antioch. Again, this is the same church, the same place from Acts chapter 13 that sent him out. He went out, came back, stayed there a while, taught and discipled people that were there. He went out again back to the same places he had been before and he comes back to Antioch. And when he comes back, it says in verse 23, having spent some time there, he left and passed excessively through Galatian reason and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. He goes back to the very same places. Think about this. He goes back to the very same areas and the very same places he's already been twice. Why? Because Paul knows that the Making of disciples doesn't stop when somebody gets saved and even when they're baptized and identify with Christ and become a part of the church. He knows there's still this ongoing strengthening of their faith and discipling them. So he keeps going back and he keeps discipling them. He keeps teaching the word of God. This is what we see when you think about what we've been studying on Sunday mornings The church at Philippi, Paul was convinced that he was going to get to remain here alive on the earth. He was going to get to live on the flesh. He was convinced that he was going to have fruitful labor. And in doing that, what was he convinced of? That he was going to come back to them for the progress, the advancing of their faith. Because Paul was going to go back there to the church at Philippi, spend time with them and invest his life in them to strengthen them, to disciple them more in Christ. And beloved, understand something. When we look back at that Matthew 28 and verse 20, where he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Discipling. That is, strengthening others in the faith. Helping others follow Christ. Is not something extra in the Christian life. It is an essential of the Christian life. It is a central part of the Christian life. Discipling is not for the professionals. Discipling is not for the pastors. Discipling is not for the super spiritual. Discipling is a responsibility of everyone in the body of Christ. So when we talk about discipling, and let's just think about discipling in the church. Discipling in the church. Jesus' ministry is a good place to look and to consider. And let's look at how Jesus did the discipling. And how that can relate to us as discipling in the church. First off, go back if you will to the Gospel of Matthew and go to Matthew uh, chapter 4. Go to Matthew chapter 4. And one of the main ways that Jesus discipled his disciples. 
was by teaching them in large crowds, by teaching the masses when they would gather together. When you come to the end of chapter 4 in Matthew, we see in verse 25 that large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And in chapter 5 it says, And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them. And now we have the most wonderful message. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching his disciples. Now, as he's teaching his disciples, no doubt a part of his message, when you read it, you see there is an evangelistic tone to it as well. But he's also teaching those who are followers of him. This is one of the ways that Jesus discipled his disciples by teaching them with authority and by ministering to them. Jesus taught them the the word of God. And brother, what I want you to see is how this discipling takes place in the church. It primarily takes place from the pulpit of a church where pastors are charged with the responsibility according to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2 to preach the word, to preach it in season and out of season. That is, preach it when it is acceptable and when it's not acceptable, when the crowd is accepting of it and when they're not accepting of it. He said, just preach the word. And when you preach the word, the pastor is there to also to do the reproving and rebuking and exhorting and instructing. All that is a part of preaching the the word. You see, a pastor disciples the congregation through the preaching of the word of God and by ministering to the people. This is the primary responsibility of any faithful pastor, that he is going to be faithful to the word of God. And when he stands up to deliver a message, the message is coming from the scriptures. He's there to declare what God has already said. To declare the word of God. Because this is the way in which he is making disciples. One of the ways he's making disciples. Because there will be an evangelistic aspect to it. But also a primary aspect of teaching those who are already disciples of Christ. And may I say to you, beloved, this is why it is such an error at times for folks when they're thinking about church and where they go and what they do. That the primary thing they should be considering is the pulpit. Because that's where the discipling takes place on the largest scale for their family. What they're going to hear Sunday after Sunday, Sunday morning or Sunday night. The preaching of the Word of God. So this is how one of the ways discipling takes place in the church. Discipling takes place or should take place in the church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night when we gather together here to worship. But now let's go back again to the ministry of Christ. And if you will, turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Because I want you to see that, yes, Jesus discipled the whole the crowds. But he also discipled the twelve. They had the discipling of the twelve. 
It's interesting, in chapter 13, it says in verse 2, large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and he sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them now in parables. And he begins to speak to them in, in a way that they're, they're not fully understanding all of what he is saying. But yet we see in verse 10, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he says, it's to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Saying, now I'm going to come and explain some things to you. I'm going to spend and invest some more time in you than I am with the whole crowd that is there. That we're going to get down and look at some things more thoroughly and carefully. You go over to verse 36. When the crowds, he left the crowds and went into the house, his disciples came to him and said, explain to us, tell us, what does this parable of the tares of the field, what does it mean? And he explained it to them. And he explained the other teachings and what he was sharing with them at that time. Well, my point about that is, is that Jesus knew that these men, especially 11 of them, obviously one of them, Judas, was going to betray him, and Christ knew that. He knew that all along, that Judas was going to betray him, but yet he had chose him as well. But 11 of those were going to be there to be step forward when Jesus went off of the scene to continue forward his mission, the one he had come to deliver. But here we see him spending more time in depth with them, answering questions, helping them to apply the word of God. You see, beloved, this is why it's important that the church not only have the preaching of the word from the pulpit, but that there are avenues that are presented that allow believers and allow disciples to get into smaller settings whereby now there can be more personal and even direct application. Where we can spend time together in smaller groups. Asking questions, answering those questions, studying the Word of God together. And the avenues that we provide here at our church and how we disciple people would be through Sunday school classes, discipleship training classes, just other programs that we offer that are here where we have the teaching of the Word of God. I would relate this to being very similar to what Jesus did here, that yes, he taught the crowds, but then he spent some time with those 12 that he didn't spend with everybody else. And when he spent that time with them, he would begin to invest in them and teach them, answer their questions. You stop and think about it. If, if on this format here, if we were constantly, uh, I was constantly having to answer questions we could probably hardly ever get through a whole message. But that's why we have these other venues, these other, other avenues for someone who is a disciple of Christ to, yes, come and sit under the preaching of the word and be discipled, but yet also go to a, a smaller setting to be discipled as well. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that if you're not. It is an aspect we see of the ministry of Christ. But there was one other way that Jesus discipled. He also discipled a little more one-on-one. -on -one, or two or three, sometimes four men. 
Typically, it would be Peter, James, and John. Sometimes Andrew would be a part of it as well, where he would spend time with these men. If you go over, look over in Matthew chapter 17, in verse 1, it says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. He didn't take all of them. He didn't take the whole crowd. He didn't take all 12. He just took those three. And they got to spend some time with him and they got to go up and see this amazing transformation of what takes place up there on the Mount of Transfiguration as it's called. And we see that Moses and Elijah are there and they got to see and to understand some things that even the other nine didn't. And those nine didn't know a thing about it until after Jesus died. Because Jesus told them, don't tell anyone until... I have died. Don't tell them. So here it is. They got to spend some time as well. Understanding more thoroughly what it is that Jesus was here to do. And beloved, this just takes time to do this as well. You think about some of the ones he picked to spend more time with than any other. Look at the role that Peter played in the church. I mean, Peter, the one who stands up on the day of Pentecost to be the spokesman. Peter, the one who goes to the house of Cornelius and seeing the gospel spread out to the Gentiles. Think about the apostle John that is here. It is John that will be used to write the gospel of John. First John, second John, third John, the book of Revelation. He would be the one that would live the longest of all of the apostles. Peter would be one that would write scripture himself, first Peter and second Peter even making reference to this very event that we're looking at there in Matthew chapter 17. And beloved, I want to bring your attention to this one for a moment, and really for the rest of our time together, because I would say that if we were probably all honest here tonight, this would be the area of discipling that is most neglected, that is missing, missing in the church, That is, we tend to settle for the crowd level. We tend to settle for the level of the twelve. We tend to settle for the pulpit ministry or the program ministries of discipling. But when it comes to the personal discipling, we tend to stay a little more away from that one. Well, what I want to encourage you to do is to think about how important it was in the ministry of Jesus, how important it was in the furthering of the gospel and the furthering of the, the church and the expansion of the gospel and embracing this idea of discipling in this way. We've seen it here with Jesus, that Jesus, Jesus did it with Peter and James and John. But you also see it in the ministry of Paul. Paul did it with men like Timothy and Titus. In fact, if you will, for just a moment, go over to the book of Acts again to Acts chapter 16. You look in Acts chapter 16, this is where Paul picks up Timothy to become his disciple, someone he's going to disciple. Verse 1, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, A disciple was there named Timothy, 
the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So when Paul leaves out, he doesn't just have Silas, he also has, eventually he has Timothy with him. And he's carrying Timothy around with him so that Timothy can watch his life, but also that he can listen to Paul and learn from Paul, not just from what Paul is ministering out in public, but Paul could spend time with him ministering and teaching him the word of God. In fact, if you will, go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul is writing to Timothy and he reminds him of what he did with him, In verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3, he says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and at Conium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. He, can, he encourages him in verse 14, Continue the things you have learned. Continue the things you have been convinced of. He didn't just learn them from Paul. He's, he reminds him he learned these things even from his childhood. Go back to the word of God, Timothy. The scriptures are what are inspired and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I taught you this. I taught you the word of God. This is how Paul, you notice, he was discipling Timothy. But he did that because Paul knew in the Great Commission, we go out to make disciples, and think about this. In the Great Commission, it says, teaching them to observe, obey all that I commanded. Well, what is the main thing there that Jesus commanded? He commanded to go out and make disciples. And when you go out and make disciples, you have to keep teaching them as well. In fact, Notice how he wants Timothy to do this. Go back to chapter 2 in 2 Timothy. In verse 1, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now notice this chain of discipling. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Keep competing as an athlete, he says. Be like the hard-working farmer. But go back to verse 2. And notice the chain here. It starts with Paul. Paul teaches Timothy. And he says, Timothy, you teach faithful men. So that those faithful men can now teach others. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. Four generations of discipling there in verse 2. This is what is called for in the church. This is a part of discipling in the church. This more personal discipling that is to take place. I'll give you a little more specific way that this can manifest itself. Go over, if you will, for just a moment. Uh, to the book of Titus and go to Titus chapter 2. 
Verse 1, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And here are the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine and dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach so that the opponent would be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. He goes on to talk about the bond slaves. And notice what he says in verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. When someone starts trying to get around this Titus and they start getting around your teaching of what I just said here, if they start trying to get away from it, he says, don't let them disregard you. You speak this and exhort them and reprove them with all authority. But notice here the discipling that's taking place in the body of Christ. Discipling here is Titus spending time with with the men and older men, discipling younger men, older women, discipling younger women. These are all ways that discipling takes place in the body of Christ that can be more on a personal level. You see, when you stop and you think about it, this is where even more of the direct application and accountability to the scriptures will take place. Really, without these types of relationships in the church, it is difficult to really have accountability to the Word of God. The authority of the Word, it comes in, and we help each other. When you think about about all of the one another's of Scripture, that we are to love one another, confess our sins to one another, care for one another, serve one another, admonish one another, show hospitality to one another. When you think about those things, those things usually are going to take place on a personal level. I mean, it, it, you can't necessarily show hospitality to everybody in the church in the sense of having everybody over to your home. But we show hospitality to one another. This is what takes place in the body of Christ. And this is something we must be committed to doing. Yes, keeping the pulpit discipling. Yes, keeping the program discipling. But there must also be the personal discipling taking place in the body of Christ. Because you see, beloved, it can't just be the preaching of the word. There needs to be also the practicing of the word as well. Submitting to its authority. So here's how I want to kind of wrap this up with you tonight. I just want to challenge you to do several things. Number one, I want to keep challenging you and encouraging you to keep talking, keep sharing, Keep praying, keep looking for opportunities to share the gospel with others. 
And unless it's someone of the opposite sex, if that person comes to Christ, at whatever point in time that may happen, I want to encourage you to plan on staying with that person that is to continue to disciple them for a while. This is going back to the Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where you're going and you're helping them and you're going to help teach them the word. Third challenge I want to give to you, just in applying what we're talking about here tonight, and this is, ask someone, maybe someone in your family, maybe someone in the church, just ask them, how are they doing in the Lord? How are their prayer life? How are they doing in spending time with the Lord in His Word? Ask them how you can pray for them. This is an aspect of personal discipling. We might be surprised sometimes at how people can be walking around and sitting in front of us or behind us or to the side of us and we, we see them often and, and we would think everything's going so well in their life spiritually and then you begin to, to ask them questions and you begin to ask them some things and if they're willing to be honest, uh, quite often you'll find out there are things going on there that you can be praying for them about and then you can help answer some questions for them and just love them and care for them in that way. Fourthly, if you are not already in a smaller setting, a Sunday school class, or one of the classes, the things that we, we offer and we do, I want to encourage you to become a part of one. That is an aspect of discipling. It's an aspect of discipling that you're missing out on. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Fifthly, try sometime this week to talk with your family. Or maybe it's with a friend. There's someone else in the church. And maybe if, if, if uh, you don't have family in that sense. But just talk with someone. Someone who is here on Sunday. Talk about what you heard. Remember, this is an aspect of discipling. This is really a, an easy tool for you to use to really talk with someone else about what's going on in their life. Just talk about the message. Talk about how it should apply to you. How you can help one another. And finally, just start thinking about someone that you would want to spend some time with. Again, someone of the, the same sex. Men with men and women with women. And it can be people of different ages and groups. I mean, we think about discipling. Discipling is us just coming alongside of other people and helping them and them helping you and walking with the Lord. And that, that can take place in different avenues and different aspects uh, and different ages of life. But I just want to encourage you to be faithful. As the Lord has called on us, this is a part of the Great Commission. For us to fulfill the commission that he's given us to go out and proclaim the gospel. So I've asked you, encouraging you to do that. Keep praying, looking for opportunities, presenting the gospel. Have a commitment in your heart that if this person comes to Christ, you're going to be involved in their life, in discipling them for a while. And begin to be discipling 
to do personal discipling in the body of Christ just by those little simple ways that I mentioned to you there. Well, I want you to bow your head in prayer for a moment.